Thank you so much, Tune, for leading us in our first service of the year. Isn't it wonderful together as God's people, listening to God's word as we start the year together? Have you wished each other a blessed new year and a new decade? Yes? ARPC at Adam, ARPC at Bishan, because we are simulcasting this. Why don't we just do that? Turn to people around you, a blessed new year and a blessed new decade. It's so important that we greet each other with the hope that we have in God, that the, with the love that we have in Christ. And even as you listen to this on podcasts, there may not be people around you, but what a blessing to be hearing God and not be left abandoned and alone in this world. So what we always do, I think in many churches, is to set out the vision. And it's not our vision, it's God's vision. And how do you know it's God's vision? Because all that we say and do here in ARPC a Reformed Church, an Evangelical Church, a Bible-centered Church, a Christ-centered Church, comes from God's Word. So our theme for the year is really staggering and stunning. It's called 2020 Vision, Seeing with God's Eyes. Really stunning, right? Because you would have come up with it yourself. Because it is 2020, and if you go to ophthalmologists, ophthalmologists, it's 2020 Vision for Perfect Eyesight. And we will not have perfect eyesight apart from God speaking His Word into our hearts, into our lives, and changing us and transforming us. So that's why the theme, and we're exploring it from January to December, indeed, for the rest of our days, seeing with God's eyes, feeling with God's heart, doing God's will for God's glory. So a little bit about visions. You'll hear a lot about eyesight and vision today. Um, you know, couples have jokes between themselves, and uh, Mona's maiden name is Lee, Right? And Mona struggles with visual and spatial distance, etc., in that she keeps bumping into things. It's not that the object moved towards her, but she moved towards the object. And so she gets so many bruises for bumping into tables, bumping into chairs, bumping into objects, that between us, from our dating days to now, I call her Bruce Lee. <laughs> Bruised Lee. <laughs> and as we get older, the bruises get worse. <laughs> And so uh, one day while we were in the supermarket shopping with a supermarket trolley, uh, she didn't see me and she ran the trolley over my, 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 my foot. And the first thing she said was, how's your shoe? <laughs> I said, how, what about how my foot is? <laughs> and those are little things that to do with vision when vision doesn't go right. But it gets a little bit more serious when we think about losing our sight. And here's a man who lost his sight. You can get this working. Yep. Eric and Eric Wehen Mayer. Born with, I can't pronounce that, with the retinal retina separates into two layers, resulting in poor vision. And then he completely lost his sight at 13 years old. It's one thing to be born blind, it's another thing to be sighted, and then to lose it somewhere in life. You have to reconstruct your whole life from that. So how did he deal with this, his loss of sight? Many of us would have gone into depression and thought otherwise of this useless life. I've now lost my sight. I might as well lose my purpose for living and go down that track. But this is what he did. He took up mountain climbing. And he became the first and only blind man to reach the summit of Mount Everest. In 2008, he scaled the seven summits. If you don't know what that is, it's not Bukit Timah Hill. It's not Mount Faber in Singapore. There are seven highest mountains on each of the seven continents of the world. And this feat 
has only been achieved by 118 other people, all sighted. And here's a blind man. You ever tried that? Climbing up your stairs, just blindfolded, just trying that for a while, or walking horizontally, blindfolded for a while? And then he scaled a 2,700-foot vertical ice face in Nepal named Losa. So, blinded, sighted, there's a thing that we need to ask ourselves. Who is blind and who is sighted? And a good number of us, can I use the word normally sighted? We will not cross a room with full sight to say sorry to a husband or a wife to say sorry to a father or mother or a child, and we are fully sighted. We know how to get there step by step, but we won't do it. But here is a blind man who would climb the highest mountains to show that his life is not useless, that every day he lives, he lives for a purpose. Or take time to see a parent in another HDB estate. You know how far Pungol is? Not far. You know how far Sembawang is? Not far. You live in tiny, puny Singapore and say you've got no time to visit your father and mother in Woodlands, your father and mother in the East Coast, your father and mother on the West Coast. You are lying to yourself. And you're fully sighted. There's nothing that hinders you. You have your whole life in front of you. Or you're fully sighted, but what on earth are you using your eyes for, my eyes for? To look at something toxic on the net again? For another minute, for another hour, for another two hours, whether it's gaming or pawning or pornography. So who is blind and who is sighted? And that's the theme we want to explore as we plunge into God's Word and to know that this is very, very important. I quoted this at our Christmas service and it was Helen Keller who said this, The only thing worse than being blind is having physical sight but no vision, no vision of life, no vision of who we are, no vision of what we are doing here, no vision of living from morning to night, no vision of what Monday to Sunday should be about. And if we arrive at that season, we're going to start the year 2020 or start the day with no vision of who God is, who you are and what you're doing here, we are truly, spiritually, morally, in every way blind. And so we need to explore this. We start the exploration from Genesis. Then I'll do what we call a biblical theological survey of tracing this whole theme of eyesight and vision all the way to Revelation. And the high point is always, what does this mean in the person and work of Jesus? So first exploration is what God sees. Can you read this together with me, whether you're ARPC at Adam or Bishan? And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Did you notice? God created everything in heaven and on earth, and everything in between. He saw all that he had made, and he pronounced it absolutely good. So it's, we are about three weeks here in Singapore, and one of the biggest festivals we celebrate is Chinese New Year. Uh, we are just walking and one day we were at the same shopping place at, um, and it, it was Christmas. And the next day we went, it was Chinese New Year decorations. My goodness, did they switch it so fast overnight? And Chinese New Year, in the old days, we used to bake a lot of cookies. And sometimes we still bake. Men and women, we still bake. And sometimes you bake or you cook and it comes out and says, my goodness, 
this is not the way I intended it. This is not what I saw on the video, right? According to that recipe, I followed the steps, but it didn't turn out. God didn't have a trial run with creation saying, let me try, huh? create the whole heavens, create the whole earth, make men and women in my image and look, oh dear, I made a mess. He saw all that he had made and it was very good. And so God delighted in his work of creation. And then when you read Genesis 2, he invites men and women made in his image to share in the glory of the created universe, the glory of the created world. How? By putting us in charge. So, because of this vision theme, I went to track down the number of times eyes or eyesight is used in the first book of the Bible. And it appears about 35 times. So the next time it appears is in Genesis chapter 3. So the first person to see and to see rightly is God's, God's vision. He saw all that he had made and it was very good. Take note of that. Now we are in Genesis 3 and the serpent comes along to tempt Eve and Adam. For God knows that when you eat, eat of it, the fruit that is forbidden, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then, see the theme? Eyes. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And so the exploration is a very important one, biblically, spiritually, theologically. Our blindness, we see all that God has made. And we see, he, because in chapter 2, God says, I made you the apple of my eye. I made you to rule over the, the, the world, over all the animals that I've created, over all the fish, over all the seas, over all the birds. I have made you, yet the apex for my glory. We see all that God has made and we choose not to believe in Him and the goodness of God. So that's our eyesight. And from that moment on, we choose to be wise in our own eyes. And when we choose to be wise in our own eyes, it's no less than being God in our own eyes. We will decide what is good for us. We will decide. We will not listen to you, O God. So great contrast between what God sees and what we see at creation because of, because of the serpent. So 35 instances of eyes in Genesis. And the next time it pops up is the human race had turned against God. And from Genesis 3 onwards, instead of being blessed by God, curses come upon the world. Curses. The next person that is blessed, right? Noah found favour in the eyes of who? Huge thing. Because when God punishes the entire world with a flood to wipe out sin, to deal with sin, He preserves Noah and his family. And so no small thing that Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. So I'm going to touch on two more events because we're going to study Genesis this year. And we'll leave that to deeper investigation. But take a look at this. In Genesis 13, we now roll on to the story of Abraham. And Abraham, God promises that 
in him and through him, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And so it comes down to his relationship with Lot, his nephew. Then Abraham said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me. Always there is family strife, familial strife, relatives. And between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, because in the old days, they kept cattle and sheep for their survival, for their prosperity. And so they were running short of grazing ground. For we are kinsmen. So he says to Lot, we are relatives. Is not the whole land before you? So Lot, you separate from me. And it's a very unusual thing that he as the older man, the uncle, says to the younger man, if you take the left hand, I will go to the right. If you take the right hand, I will go to the left. So Abraham gave Lot, as it were, the first choice. And this is what Lot saw. Eyes, again, Lot lifted his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered. Well watered is not something you need to tell Australia right now. It's the driest continent on planet Earth. Any place that can live without water is a totally unusual place. We all live and die by water, physically. And nations will go to war for water. We should know that. So Lot lifted his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered, everywhere like the Garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. And why this line in between? This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus, they separated from each other. Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom, which means Lot saw a fertile land, and he saw the land was very close to the bright lights of Sodom and thought that being close to the bright lights of Sodom, though he was a herdsman, was the best of both worlds. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. That's a commentary not by Lot. That's a commentary by the writer. What Lot saw and what he didn't know were two different things. The men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abraham, now the camera turns, it's now Abraham. After the Lord had separated from him, lift up what? Your eyes. Lift up your eyes, Abraham. You got second choice. And you look from the place where you are. You look north, you look south, you look east, you look west. And what will you see? Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. When God made this promise, Abraham and Sarah were old and they had zero children. And so it's very important for them, right, for, for us to recount this. And God had made this promise. And so there's a very huge difference being wise in our own eyes and wise in God's eyes. And here's another way to see it, that the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation, Lot saw with his own eyes, Abraham saw with God's eyes, it is God who will bless him with the land. 
And it's God who will bless him with progeny, with descendants, with children to fill the land and to fulfill God's purposes. It is God who will bless. To be wise in our own eyes means you choose to bless yourself. You want to say to yourself as I arrive at this point, just pause personally for an application. You can't bless yourself. That prerogative does not belong to you. The choice to bless yourself is idolatry. You can't bless yourself. Only God can bless you truly. Amen? Hmm, very few amens. Think about it carefully. You can never bless yourself. The lesson from Abraham onwards, actually from creation, Adam and Eve, it is God who blesses you. When you choose to snatch life from Him and bless yourself, you're on the path of idolatry, being wise in our own eyes. And so it carries on. Now we fast forward to Genesis 22 and we'll take a look at this deeper when we study this. But the angel of the Lord called to him and now God had blessed Abraham and Sarah finally with a child. His name is Isaac. And God asked of Abraham a very strange thing that Isaac be sacrificed. Abraham doesn't understand this, but he obeys. His faith in God is used in obedience. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Here I am. I was walking at Fort Canning Park one day on my Sabbath day. And then, uh, walking wasn't my Sabbath, it's in between meetings. Then all of a sudden I heard, Chris, Chris. Chris, I turned around, walked a few more steps. Chris, Chris, I really thought God was speaking to me. Then a church member ran up the hill. Ah. I don't know, actually I responded more happily. Hi, hi. <laughs> yeah. Has that ever happened to you, your name being called? Here I am, called by God. Do not lay your, your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For I know that you fear God. I know that you fear God. Big word. And seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me, it's not that Abraham doesn't know, you know. Lord, you know, he's my only son. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that land, of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Here are the origins, the starting of God's salvation plan in and through Abraham and his family. And it's a very important spiritual principle. And the spiritual principle is either you embark on self-rescue, self-redemption, self-salvation, or you trust in the Lord's rescue. Very important. So before we get to the Lord Jesus, have you taken that down? With Abraham, he thought he was offering the sacrifice, but God provided a way out for him. And the lesson is with God's salvation plan, you either trust in yourself redemption or you trust in Him redeeming you. There is no fence for you to sit on. It's either you and me by our own human effort or it is God and God alone by His grace, by His love and His power.
We now come to the crown, the climax of God's saving purposes. And isn't it interesting that Jesus never stopped teaching about eyes and vision? The eye is the lamb of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So he gives this illustration that you are and I am, we become what we see. You want to write that down somewhere? You become what you look at. Believe me. No. Believe God. It happened with Adam and Eve. It happened with Lot. You become what you see. You see what you like, you like what you see, you take what you like, that's called idolatry. You see what you like, you like what you see. Are you confused yet? You see what you like, you like what you see, you take what you like and what you see at your own time. That's you being God of your own life. Same lesson right throughout. And Jesus calls that idolatry. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one or love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, or God and mammon in some versions. Money is not the root cause of it. It's our wholehearted trust in money as an idol to give us that perfect life, the paradisical life. So we either have idolatrous eyes, we see what we like, we like what we see, we take what we like and see, and we think that is the charm life. It is charming only for a while, friends. It is charming temporarily, but soon you and me will be forced to see it from God's eyes. And when we see it from God's eyes, the people around us, the, who we are, then we are worshipful. Jesus is now asking, as he preaches the Sermon on the Mount, do you see me for who I am? Do you see me for who I am? To you, I sound like a small-town rabbi, nothing compared to the big-town theologians of Jerusalem. Do you see that I've come, and these are the words of God, Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are spiritually poor. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed because yours is the kingdom of heaven. It's hearing him and seeing him. And then we fast forward now to not just what did the Old Testament tell us about this? What does Jesus our Lord tell us about eyesight and vision? What did the apostles say about eyesight and vision? Here is Paul writing in Romans chapter 1. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images re resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. And so, choosing to be wise, claiming to be wise, we become fools. We become fools when we exchange the worship of God for the idolatry of creatures. Instead of worshipping the Creator, and rightly so, we worship the creature and think that we are wise and make images of ourselves. And then he goes on. And since they did not, visual word, they did not see fit to acknowledge God, and God gave them over to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And what is it that you must, you and I, should not do from day to day. We are filled with all manner of unrighteousness. That's a summary term of the whole list of sins. 
a whole list of ungodliness when we choose to live without God. When we choose to live without God, of course you're going to have ungodliness in your life and wickedness, unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy and murder and strife and deceit, maliciousness, gossips. Have you lived that way the last year? Answer is absolutely yes. Absolutely yes. If you haven't found yourself in that list yet, that you live with coveting, you live with envy of your brother or sister, envy of a cousin, you live with greed, you live with by gossiping and accusing people behind your backs. If you haven't acknowledged that yet, how about slanderous? How about a hater of God? How about haughty and boastful inventors of evil? How about something that will get most of us, if not all of us, disobedient to parents? Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, that though they know God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. In other words, there will be champions of being anti-God. And if you're a champion of being anti-God, you might have billions of followers on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And isn't that true? Can you match Lady Gaga's followers? All of us put together will not be one iota of any of those people who proclaim the death of God and the death of the irrelevance of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. And so, friends, what do we have here? Our life and death choice, as the new year begins, is whether we want to be wise in our own eyes or wise in God's eyes. And it all comes down to believing in the wisest person that God has sent into your world and my world. And why is Jesus the wisest person? Because he loved God and he feared God and he loved God and he feared God and he feared God and he loved God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. So Luke chapter 2 will say of Jesus that he grew in wisdom and stature. He grew in wisdom and stature. So the choice is whether you want to respond to Jesus moment by moment, incident by incident, experience after experience in our lives. And friends, let's, I'm going to explore this in different ways. Just your health. Do you ever think that your health comes from God? Every breath that you take? That Jesus is, is the Lord of everything? Right? So I told my staff in staff devotion, I came out of the shower in a hurry, and I thank God that I could do my laces with one leg, that I can still stand like a flamingo. You know, there was a time in my life where I couldn't lift my leg and bend over to tie my... I didn't know what it was. It was a pain here. It was a pain here. My goodness, it turned out to be appendicitis. <laughs> there will come a time in which I cannot tie my shoelaces. Is that true? Hello, are you here with me this morning? <laughs> and you think that every breath of life is to be taken for granted and wasted on pettiness? That every cell and every organ within you is by grace for God's glory. But you, are, you and I are poisoning it from mind to body with no repercussions in life. There are always repercussions for rebelling, rebellion against God. And so wise in our own eyes, replacing God's rightful glory with our wrongful glory. Rejecting God's rightful authority 
with our own authority over our lives, over our marriages, over our children, over our work, rejecting and rejoicing in our self-made, self-ruled, self-powered, self-pleasing, self-sufficient life. That way of living has to come to an end. That way of living, because 2,000 years ago, God sent Jesus to put the whole world on notice, no longer under self-management. You are now under new management, and the new management is Jesus, is Saviour, Lord and God. Over every moment of your life. Now I fast forward to the last book. And by the last book, the, Jesus has risen, he's seated at God's right hand, given full authority by God. He tells from the disciples, go and bring this good news to all nations. It has spread all over Asia Minor. And so, by God's grace, I've just come back from Turkey and see where the gospel spread to the seven churches that were there. there. Highly commanded trip to you. But by the time John the Apostle wrote this, Persecution had begun by the emperor, Caesar. Emperor worship was a mandatory thing that everybody had to give to the Roman emperor. In every major city, there will be a temple for emperor worship. And we saw them in some of the ruins of the seven cities. Christians, the early Christians said, we do not worship anybody. We worship the Lord Jesus. And so persecution begins. So John is on the island of Patmos. He gets a vision from God, a vision from the one Lord by the one Spirit to the one church in many places, in seven places. And this is the vision that is spoken. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written, for the time is near. Greetings to the seven churches, John to the seven churches that are in Asia. It is not John's words, it's from God, it's from Christ, it's by the Spirit, it's through the angel, it's through John, and it's for all of us. Today the message still resounds for us. Grace to you and peace from Him. And what is the first designation? The first thing you need to know? Who was, who is, who is, who was and who is to come. If I got you to turn to your neighbour or say to your family member that today you woke up with a, woke up and you realise that, how am I going to say this? You turn to your neighbour and say, I was, I am, and I will be. Something along those lines. Your neighbour or your parents say something wrong with you. Which means you are immortal. You've always been there. In the past, in the present, in the future, that's the first thing a persecuted church and Christian needs to know. Who is, who was, who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ. And immediately he says three things about Jesus. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. But he's three things that you need to know. His faithful witness He's firstborn from among the dead and is ruler of the kings of this earth. Why is faithful witness the first thing he must tell the seven suffering churches? Because some of them will now die for their faith in Jesus. Do you read the report that somebody got killed in Sembawang because they are Christian? Example. Did that wake you up? 
Did you read the report or hear the report that somebody died at Pasiris because they went to church? Imagining, imagine being in a place, being in a country in which today, if you call yourself a Christian, you may well be thrown in jail, lose your job or lose your life or lose your children. That hasn't happened to us yet in Singapore. So what I just said, did you hear about the Christian in Pungul who just got killed because he's a Christian? It's very far from your mind. It's not far. Because I read a report that in Aceh, right, where they burned down so many church buildings, Christians are not allowed to worship openly. And how far is Aceh from us? Not too far. If you live under constant persecution with the prospect of dying for Christ, you will want to know what happens. You will want to know that Jesus is the original founder and he's the faithful witness, faithful unto God, faithful unto his death, and faithful to save you and me at the greatest cost. Next thing you need to know, he's the firstborn from among the dead. And why is that important? Why is that important? I'm going to jump the point, but I'll come back to it later. The year ended with five funerals in the last week of 2019. The year has begun with three funerals in 2020. Every funeral we do is tiring. When I quote that and I listen to this, I know of very few churches that have that high frequency. We're not an old church. I went to preach in Scotland, and one of my friends pastored an old church. By that we mean the average of the people that were in the 70s, 80s, and in one year he lost one-third of his congregation through old age. And he quit because he got depressed. <laughs> there was nervous laughter. He got depressed. When you go to a funeral, what hope do you give the bereaving family, the grieving family? You give the hope that Jesus is firstborn from among the dead. Or else all that we share there is tears and grief. We do not mourn as the world mourns. We grieve, but we hope in Jesus Christ. That's why a Christian funeral always has a note, an undeniable, unsinkable note of victory, that we don't belong to a dying human race. By the, by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, we belong to a risen human race. Amen? That though we die in a body, we will rise to eternal life, firstborn from among the dead. To proclaim in a world where Caesar had absolute power over the Roman Empire, that Jesus is ruler of the kings of this earth, was seditious, was dangerous. Jesus is king over Caesar? Are you kidding me? Three things you need to know about Jesus. Do you think you need to download these three truths into your life this year? Faithful witness, firstborn from among the dead, ruler of the kings of this earth. But this is what I wanted to show you before we go into the application of this. To him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him alone be glory and dominion. Glory does not belong to us, belongs to God. And now is totally secured to the finished work, the sacrificial work of Jesus. Amen. Behold, He's coming with the clouds and every eye back to eye and vision. Every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. 
which means the enemies, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. So what did Christmas, what does Christmas celebrate? And what do we usually sing at Christmas? We sing songs that even non-Christians know. Oh, holy night, silent night. And you have wonderful, what we call nativity scenes, right? And baby Jesus there, and the lights are romantic, and here in Singapore, we've got fake snow. Right? It's all very warm and cosy. When Jesus came, it neither was cosy nor romantic because they couldn't find an A what for Mary to deliver the baby. A-class what? She delivered Jesus among the smells and the grottiness of animals, which tells you he came in utter humility and that humility in utter vulnerability, in obedience to God, in love for us, his people. So when he came 2,000 years ago, you could have stood around the whole ancient world, around the world, and said, God sent his son into the world. Where? Where was he born? Don't know. Where's this place? Bethlehem. Really? The next time Jesus returns, no one will be asking, you mean Jesus came again? Because every eye will see him. There'll be no more excuses. Every eye will see him. And Philippians 2 says, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. No one will be walking around saying, really, God came to wind up human history, to save us from our sin, to bring us into his kingdom? Really, he did. Every eye will see. And so the greatest vision you must have is to see that Jesus is God's silver bullet for the universe, for the world, and for you and me. Jesus in his early life always said this, he who has an ear, let him hear. It's saying the obvious, right? He who got no ears, you cannot hear her. No. It's spiritual insight. And we see God with our ears. We see God with our, with our hearing. And so John will say in this revelation, in this prophecy, blessed are those who hear, no, he who says, blessed are those who hear and keep these words. And so, how's your hearing as the, world, as the year begins? How's your hearing? And that's the important thing that we want to explore from this point onwards. Right? How's your hearing? How's your sight? Did you watch the annular eclipse? And you know what the annular eclipse is? It happened all around the world, by the way. And so Mona and I said, decided, we must go and see because we read about this. And so we went to the closest place, National Junior College, because it was free. <laughs> <laughs> Telescopes at different places, you may have to pay a small fee. And we were so encouraged to see so many families with children watching this. Right? They said it was going to happen about 1.22 to 1.24. But as early as 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, people went and just waited to see this happen. So we went along. Did you know that you're not supposed to do what with an eclipse? You're not supposed to watch it with your naked eye, right? Because firstly, you won't see it. Secondly, it's not good for you. And thirdly, it may blind you. 
So firstly, you can't see it. You can't see it clearly because it's just a blur in the distance. A blur. And so they gave us special lenses to view it. And so here's Mona and me wondering, what's she doing? <laughs> and see the families behind there? Lots of families running around. And it got more and more crowded on that field at NJC, right? Closer to the time. And so it finally happened, and we finally saw it like that. It's a perfect ring. Perfect. That's what an annular eclipse is. That's what I'm told. And for all of you who missed it, the next time you see it, it's 2063. <laughs> You're never going to see it. I told you, stop watching the Korean shows, do something more useful like this. You wouldn't have seen this with your naked eye. You wouldn't have seen the beauty of this, and this is only for about two minutes because then it moves and then you lose the perfect ring. So the line to the telescope, right? The person, the, the student saying, quickly, quickly. Everybody takes one look and then out with the phones and it was taken with the phone. Bang! Of that thing. Not easy to get it. And it was the student who did it for us. Perfect. I pity you. You miss such earth-shattering things in your life. More importantly is how your spiritual eyesight. Do you see Jesus clearly as God wants you to see Jesus? Week after week, we preach His name, we proclaim His name. You see Him clearly? And so it's 2020 vision of God, of self, and of life. So did you read this newspaper report of Benitiam? Did you read this? Highly commend you to read it. Full page. You can find in Straits Times right, of how at 14 years old, to run away from the desperation of life, the boredom of life, he started to take drugs, experiment with his friends, then he went into financing that drug habit with loan sharking. And then, because he was young, he, he didn't get into jail yet, but he was thrown in at NS, thrown into detention, came out again, did the same things. Another round, I'm not wrong, he was thrown in now for five years, two strokes, his family reached out to him. The family never stopped visiting him every week. But he just kept on going with that life. Just kept on going with that life. Just kept on going. You just read this. Right? And somewhere along the line, in prison, some pastor came along called Pastor Jeffrey Quack and shared Jesus with him. And Benny Tiam gave his life to Christ and decided enough is enough of seeing life with my own eyes and living life my own way in beautiful autonomy from God. I've got a family, right? I've got a family who loves me to bits. And the time in which he got arrested the second time for that five-year jail term, he rang his father, was on his father's birthday. What a gift to give to your father. Dad, can you come and bail me out? That's how much he loved himself. And by God's grace, Jeff went in and shared the gospel and his life changed. And Benny decided to study and he finished his studies at SUSS. I think he topped his cohort. And now he's working as a counsellor. And that's why new year, new beginnings. And Benny is part of our church. Did you know that? You know that miracles happen in ERPC? Oh, oh I didn't know that. 
Really? It does. And how would I know that in the 1980s, when I was working in the media, went to interview the founder of Helping Hand, and then from that point onwards met people like Jeff. And when I started ministering as a young pastor there in the 1990s, that one day he would believe in Jesus. And one day he would come out of this cycle of drugs and self-love and self-destruction and say to me upon his last release, as he sat in my office, I want to go to Bible college. I sort of half rejoiced. <laughs> I don't know what my expression was. I should have taken a photo. I said, good. In the back of my mind, I said, he doesn't know what is involved. Firstly, in studying Bible college, because he didn't finish A-levels. And then he doesn't know what pastoring is all about. So I said, Re I rejoice with you, cautiously. <laughs> How would I know that he'll be used by God? Week after week, with our faithful ministers of the gospel going in to all the blocks, bearing the good news of Jesus Christ. This is what we do. Giving men and women a new vision. Because we ourselves have received this. To see that, you know the title on one of the things? That he didn't realize he was such a scumbag. You know what that is? Such a worm, such a rat, such a useless fellow. So loved, but so wasted his life. So loved, but so wasted. So gifted, but so wasted. Is that you? You and me may not do drugs. You and me may not do loan sharking. But every day, you do another bout of anger, another bout of porn, another bout of gaming, another bout of unforgiveness, another bout of self-pity, another bout of self-indulgence, another bout of insecurity. Not punishable by the law of the land, but they are the sins listed for us in Romans chapter 1. Agree? We can't say we know Jesus and have none of those things dealt with as a new year begins under Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, 2019 ended with, you now know, five funerals, starts with three funerals, two weddings yesterday, two babies. So don't look at the stats of 2019, look at the stats of 2020. Uh, are we above replacement level? But I don't say that. I mean, I say that to get your attention. God has blessed us to be a holistic church. From marriages to children to aging folk. But we must never forget to see life as it is. To see life in the raw outside the Garden of Eden. So I asked this at last Christmas. What will 2020 bring for you? A life-changing sin? What life-changing sin? Could be unfaithfulness, could be adultery, could be the... One parent came to us and said, oh, shock, I discovered my 10-year-old boy started on pornography. 10-year-old, that's a life-changing sin. Because apart from the grace of God, his life is going to be totally messed up. Don't go there. Don't go there. You go there, it's a very long U-turn. By the grace of God, he can do the U-turn a life-changing sin? Or in a moment, a heated moment of argument, Christmas, New Year, you say to your son, you say to your daughter, get out. 
And don't ever come back. Get out. Don't ever come back. Fewer than 10 words. That's life-changing, friends. Anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. You are not Lord of your anger. Anger will lord over you. Will you go through a heartbreaking relationship? A heartbreaking relationship that will haunt you for the rest of your life? That will control you for the rest of your life? That you lost somebody you shouldn't have lost in love and life? Or you are going to face an overwhelming problem? Or you're going to be stricken or your loved one stricken with an incurable disease? Are you going to lose a loved one this year? In each of those, no one can come to your rescue and make you an overcomer apart from Jesus, your loving Saviour, your loving Lord, your Good Shepherd, who takes you from birth to death to eternal life. In any of those experiences, no one's going to walk you through when you sit in the quietness of your room and temptation is there and temptation is there, you can call me, you can call Jeff. We will pray with you. But it is Jesus and the Spirit of God and the Word of God that will make you an overcomer and say, enough, enough of this stuff that is junking me up and messing me up. Junking me up here, messing me up horizontally in my relationships. And so, which will it be? Be still and know today that Jesus is Lord. Because by the time we arrive at the New Testament, God hands all authority to Jesus after his death and resurrection. And all authority has been given to Jesus in heaven and on earth. Therefore, we are to go forth and make disciples of all nations, humbly believing in Jesus for all the moments of our life. Amen? So we ended the year with New Year's Eve dinner. How many of you were at New Year's Eve dinner? Hands up. I need a check. And the pastors will be checking at the Bishan site. So not many of us. So this next portion for about five minutes is to just recount some things that we said at the New Year's Eve dinner. Not all of us can make it, we understand. We're trying to find a bigger venue. We know we turn away about close to 160 people, though we try to fill it up with, it was filled up with about 1,000 people. So we quoted, the theme was, be still and know that I'm God. Jesus is exalted among the nations. Psalm 46 verse 10, a psalm that we studied with great delight last year. And the message of God to all the pagan nations and their man-made idols is, stop rebelling, stop resisting, stop usurping, stop struggling against the truth that I am God, I, Yahweh of Israel, and the God of all nations, not your pagan gods, not your idols. But now we are to be still and know that Jesus is Lord. And for us to be still and know that Jesus is Lord, three things at least for us. To carry on sharing Jesus with family and friends. To carry on sharing Jesus with our children, with our parents. And I want to say to you out of the eight funerals, my heart is cheered and warm and strengthened because so many of our members always ask for the prayer of salvation for their parents. And we never stop trying. We never stop trying. And if the English speaking, most of us go down, we try, we pray. If Chinese speaking, we send Pastor Yak Chao, and because he's so big, they usually believe. Niao Xiang Sing Ma. 
but it's not by his strength or stature. We share the gospel. We submit to Jesus ourselves in our own lives and we become like him, whatever the, dis- the disappointments. So last year, in retrospect, we went out with 200 over churches to try and reach Singapore. Remember that? The celebration of hope. And the greatest harvest was among the Chinese-speaking folk. Right? And then we had, from four years ago, six years ago, right? Let's Carnival, which God has used to reach not just our neighbourhood, but our entire nation. So I bump into somebody, a relative, and say, you know, your church, uh, you're quite famous now. I said, why? Let's Carnival, uh, even my people in my bank, people in my bank, your bank? Which bank? A foreign bank. People in my bank went to your carnival. Really? At the New Year's Eve dinner, a man came because he firstly went to carnival, then he, went, he came to church, but ultimately he will come to know Christ. Three C's, not bad, right? You can remember, remember that. So we don't do carnival for carnival's sake. It is to lead them to church. And when they come to church, they hear the gospel, you tell them the gospel, and finally they come to know Christ. And the angels rejoice with every sinner who repents. And then we have outreach, like Sunday Senior Special, right? And then, so encouraged. From January to November, we preach the gospel. When it comes to holiday time, so many of our folk go out on missions. You know what's the beautiful thing now? So many of those going on mission are our youth. So here is one of our deacons taking his family, no choice, on mission. I mean, got choice. <laughs> and when they were in Davao, an earthquake of 6.8 struck. At that point, they were separated from their children. They asked for prayers. We prayed. There's danger everywhere. Right? There's also danger when you take a shower at home as you walk on slippery ground. Our life for Christ must be vulnerable. In our free missions to the nations, to Taiwan... And then our youth, a whole group of them went to Thailand. And the spiritual lessons they learned, the spiritual warfare that they saw there among the Mian people, spiritual battles there look different. Same enemy, Satan, different faces. We have a different face of it here in an urban setting in city. And the youth came back, at least two lessons. They realized they could survive a whole 10 days, 12 days without their phone. Hallelujah. That itself is wonderful, right? That you can detox yourself from this and retox yourself with God. Hey, that's a Holy Spirit phrase. <laughs> you detox yourself from this gadget and you retox yourself with God and godliness. And then the spiritual lessons that each of them learned. And I kept hearing different reports. You can see them writing on your Facebook, your Instagram, different things. Then we ended the year by reaching out to the foreign workers who are building this church next door. We saw it as an opportunity, and about 120, 130 of them came. And we say, which countries did they come from? Some from China, some from India, some from Myanmar, some from Thailand. So as the speaker, what language? (laughs) All I could say within that half hour, uh, within the hour, and I had two minutes to say to them, Jesus loves you. You are ever in trouble, call to Jesus. You need rescue, call to Jesus. That's all I left them. Jesus loves you. Call upon Jesus, believe in Jesus. Do you notice we got children to serve? These men are separated from their families, their children. One year, two years, five years. They don't ever see them. And so, Pastor Lak Yong brought his children. What do you call that? Child labor. I mean, it's wonderful. It's, 
<laughs> and so we just served ice cream, served them food. And I think they were just warm. And they were asking us, what is it you want from us? They didn't ask that. Then we finished off with a photo booth downstairs. They took photos. They felt so happy. And we gave each one of them a $20 NTUC voucher. It's just a message to say, we are here to give. We don't want anything from you. We just want you to know the Lord Jesus Christ. So how might 2020 look like for you and me? How might it look like? Enough. Enough of saving yourself. Stop trying to be God. Enough. You know, Psalm 46, the Hebrew word there, I'm told, right? The Hebrew word there is not just be still. Be still, you think of uh, incense in the air. Or you sitting cross-legged, be still. Or doing yoga. The word of God to the nations was enough. Stop. That's the same word to you and me. Enough of you trying to be boss of your own life. Stop that and start worshipping Jesus moment by moment by moment. So be still and know and stop resisting. Stop sabotaging. Stop usurping. Stop fretting. Stop struggling and know that Jesus is Lord of your life. It's not a call to passivity, do nothing. It's a call to humility, worship Jesus. So practically, the next slide, as we end our time, please know the joy of two things. Please move from the fear of missing out in life to the joy of missing out. The joy of missing out. Did I get it right? right. FOMO? The fear of missing out in life to Jomo. So I've told you this many times. One day I was sitting in my study preparing for a sermon and I was over, overwhelmed by a sense of thanksgiving to God. It was really 1 or 2 a.m. in the morning just finishing things up. I thank God for everything He has given me and instantaneously the Spirit of God worked in me to thank God for everything He had withheld from me. He had not given to me or taken away from me. That's the joy of missing out. You don't always have to be first. Can be second. All the parents, I whisper to you, you don't always have to be first. Can be second. Now the teenager whispered to the parents, can or not? <laughs> because there's only one first place. The rest of us are non-first. The joy of missing out. I thank God I was not first. Mona was first. And that was to get her to marry me. Right? Following Jesus is not trying harder, but surrendering more. And so you've got to start surrendering every area of your life. More and more so. Surrendering that unforgiveness. Surrendering that sin. Surrendering. And Jesus must loom larger than anyone or anything or any experience. If anyone or anything controls you more than Jesus, that person or experience is your idol. Jesus must loom larger than anything in your life. So our 2020 vision, next week as we give out the handbooks, you read this in detail, is that we're going to study the book of Genesis for the whole year in two parts. From January to March, the first 12 chapters, then the second part of the year, from chapter 12 to 50, when we see God's story end with the story of Joseph. So we're going to start with the first book of the Old Testament, the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, Vision of Jesus, Parables. And then the church camp, Vision of God's Love. 
Because Jesus commanded us to love each other, and what's missing in your life and my life is actually love. Then Colossians, visions of Jesus' supremacy. In every year, we highlight the, the high points, the spiritual feasts. So by God's grace, we managed to invite John Piper to come to ARPC and to Singapore. So we'll be hosting him and we'll be doing this for the Church of Singapore. The dates that he can come are March 17 to 18. I want to warn you first, tell you first in advance, is the first week of the holidays, uh, holidays, the midterm holidays, right? So which one should you choose? Trick question. Your holidays or coming to this? In Singlish, your own self answer lah. <laughs> for those listening to this on the net, choose your priorities. Will John Piper come again? I have no idea. But it took us a long, took me a long time to get him to come, right? Then is ARPC's turn to host the Easter Convention. It'll be held here for two nights. Then the men's conference, we're going to launch a men's conference to help men grow in godly disciplines. Because whether you're single or married men, we all need help in this area. So all the men in, in our midst, hands up. Some who are not sure. <laughs> hands up. This is for you. Sometime in April. Then for the first time, we're going to have a singles conference by Sam Aubrey. And it's going to come for one night in singles, one night on sexuality, one night on what it means for us to be the family of God. More of this in the handbook. Then we're going to focus on creation care. We're going to cut down on our bulletins. We're going to ask you to be concerned about plastics because we are stewards of God's will and stewards of, of the gospel. But God's will needs our help. Then our children's church partnership. All parents are going to get this very soon, right? And it tells you, see yourself through God's eyes. See your children through God's eyes. See your parenting through God's eyes. And if you see your children through, through God's eyes, you're going to commit them to the Lord and commit them to a regular service here. Then we're going to widen and deepen our social media ministry. And we've seen that very active on our Facebook now, on our website. And then we're going to focus on leadership growth. In all of these things, we take seriously 2020 vision, seeing with God's eyes, seeing God clearly by seeing Jesus clearly, seeing ourselves, our sinfulness, our newness, and our fruitfulness, then seeing the world and how God is not just saving us, but using us to save the world. Let's go to God in prayer. In this moment of quietness, as we begin the year together, we confess that we belong to the human race that is chosen to be wise in our own eyes. And so we live with so much hurt and harm, pain and problems in our hearts, in our homes, in all our relationships. Remind us, teach us again and again that it's not for us to bless ourselves. There is no such thing as the self-made, self-blessed life. Thank you for your unchanging purpose to rescue us from the vicious circle of life, being wise in our own eyes, but ultimately facing your wrath and our death. Thank you for giving us Jesus, the truly wise one, to whom we can turn and know and be still 
that Jesus is Lord of all our moments and all our seasons, whether we are single or married, whether we are young or old, somewhere along the line, please confront us and say to us, enough is enough. Stop. Stop this life of self-forgetting. Stop trying to be in control of ourselves and others. And just start surrendering and experiencing the beauty of Jesus over us. And so we pray for this 2020 vision and it will change us and change the world around us. Oh, help us, O oh God. We are weak, but you are strong. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.